Please remain standing as you're able as we hear God's word from the Gospel of John. Last week we learned that if you could sum up God's dream for us in one word, that word would be community. And here we see, on the night in which our Lord is betrayed, His prayer is for the same. My prayer is not for the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Last week I was channel surfing and the channel happened to land, uh, land on Dancing with the Stars. Now that was most unfortunate because I was hoping my wife and family wouldn't find out that it had been continued for another season. But as we watched, the question came up in my mind because I've been thinking about the Trinity this week. Do you think Jesus would go on Dancing with the Stars? I mean, think about it for a moment. He's obviously been around longer than Wayne Newton. He certainly has uh, started more discussions than Jerry Springer. And he's definitely richer than Mark Cuban. Well, I decided that he probably wouldn't because I don't think Jesus will make an appearance in any situation where some people are elevated over others and where some are, uh, by the goal of the contest, eliminated. Now, notice I didn't say that Jesus wouldn't dance, for it's very Jewish to dance. It's very Jewish to, to celebrate your excitement in the love of God. I just don't think he'd be a part of that particular dance. I thought about it some more this week because in my research on the Trinity, which is, of course, such a difficult concept for us as Christians, I came across a description of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from the 7th century, 1,400 years ago. St. John of Damascus used a Greek phrase, and in English, this is what the word means, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are what he calls a circle dance. Of love, He pictures Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as a circle in a continuous dance. And in this dance, no one stands out from another. In this dance, no one turns their back on another. In this dance, the goal is not to leave some behind and get ahead of them. In the circle, everyone stays in their place and they continue to move. The goal is not to elevate yourself above others, but to continue to move forward together. The circle dance of love is how they described Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is helpful to me because I believe Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were the first vision and the example for us of life that is to exist in community. The way they live and interact with one another is the way we are supposed to love and live and, and interact with one another. So what I want to do this morning is just think about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and think about this circle with you for a moment and ask ourselves the question, how does the Trinity interact uh, within the Trinity and what does that say to our life? And the first thing I notice in a circle is in a circle all points are in constant connection with each other. If they're not, the circle is broken. And one of the things you can say about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is there's constant communication. There, um, there is not a break. There are no keeping secrets. There's no uh, silent or stone-faced treatment. There's continual communication. And so Jesus uh, is often seen escaping from the crowd so that he can go spend intimate time in communication 
in prayer. Jesus is heard saying things like this. I can only say what the Father says to me. And I can only do the things that I see the Father doing. And what Jesus is talking about is this constant, constant communication that's involved in community. And community will be the same way for us. If we're not in connection and in communication with one another, then we don't have community. It is a shame that much that passes off for Christian community is not Christian community. It's simply a diatribe or a monologue or parallel play like we see with little children. I remember uh, what happened years ago, early days of the, of the AIDS crisis, and there was so much fear and so much misunderstanding and, and information that was inaccurate. Then one pastor went to visit somebody who was, uh, that a prisoner said has AIDS. Would you go visit him in the hospital there in Princeton, New Jersey? So he does. Now his, his patient has uh, bed A by the window. And uh, out of his fear and misinformation, he comes to the door, which is two beds away from his patient, and yells out a blessing and a prayer toward him. Doesn't even get close. That is what often passes for community in our Christian world. But that's not at all. Community, as involved in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is close and tight connection. It involves, uh, and in a circle, no one turns their back on another. We're, we're always face-to-face in openness and vulnerability and honesty and contact. You'll remember the story I told you about Mabel. Uh, some years ago, Mabel lives in West Texas, and Mabel goes to the post office every Monday through Friday. And just buys a few stamps. So finally one day as she was waiting in line, her friend said to her, you know, Mabel, they just put a stamp machine out in the lobby. You know, you don't have to wait in this line. You can just put the money in the machine and get your stamps. And Mabel said, I know that, but the stamp machine won't ask me about my arthritis. People need contact and communication. And that is uh, what we see modeled. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in constant unity of purpose because there's constant truthfulness and there's constant communication. That contact is what makes community so vital. I was reading sometime back in Mao Zedong, and one of the interesting things I didn't know is that Mao Zedong spent time in the United States, came to graduate school in the United States. But when he describes his time in the United States, he says that everyone ignored him. That no one had anything to do with him. This is a summary of his time in the United States. He says, no one came near me. He never got to experience community. He never got to experience uh, life as, as we live it. How might that have changed his ideas about the world, about politics, about living? Had someone dared to establish contact? There is no community without contact and communication. Another thing I learned about the Trinity from the circle and from the scriptures is that the community might, uh, of the Trinity might be called a community of deference. No one's trying to drop, jump out of the circle or jump ahead, leapfrog someone in the circle in front of them. Uh, uh, Jesus says, I've come to glorify the Father. And the Father says, I'm going to glorify you. Jesus, we're told by Paul in Philippians, was God, but he didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped or held on to. Instead, says Paul, he emptied himself. He deferred while he was on this planet. The Trinity is a community of deference. One theologian put it this way, there is an eternal shyness about the Trinity. No one wants to take glory or honor apart 
from another. A way that God is experienced. All three ways that God is experienced are lifted together and they defer each uh, to the other. John Claypool, uh, the late John Claypool, used this example, which we would understand in Texas. John Claypool says that the Trinity is uh, the quintessential example of Southern gentlemen. The attitude is always after you. No, after you. No, after you. There's no desire to jump ahead in the circle or jump out of the circle to do our own thing. We stay in the circle, encouraging and supporting those in front of us and in contact with those who are behind us. There is an attitude, we might say, of deference. No desire to lift yourself above another. And I think in uh, a corollary to this, we might also say that in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in God we see the example of the desire to glorify and exalt one another, not to glorify or exalt yourself at the expense of another. It's after you, but there's also a lifting. There's also a lifting. There's an encouragement in the circle, not that you pass the person in line in front of you, but, but you help them move forward. I don't know if you ever watch the postmortems uh, after the, the foot, college football games. Occasionally, I'll stay around to see the highlights in the news conferences. And I bet every week at least one coach gives this speech. I heard two coaches give it yesterday. And the, 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 the speech goes exactly like this. You've heard it before. You know it. When we do well, when the team wins, it's the team. They did it. And when we lose, says the coach, it is my fault. Now, as far as I can tell, the speech goes at least back to Bear Bryant, if not further. But it's a wonderful attitude that says, I'm not going to assert myself at the expense of others, whether it's blame or praise. Blame them and praise for myself. I'm going to lift up. I'm going to lift up others and lift them up as well. And what we see in the model of the Trinity is a desire that each member be glorified. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit is coming after me. And the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into all truth. And that's on the night in which Jesus is betrayed. He's making the speech. And what's not recorded is Jesus then turning to them and saying, but I hope you like me best. Because that's not a part of how God operates. There's no desire to get ahead of another. There's a desire to push forward and exalt all the parties. You've heard that old saying that, that there's no limit to what can be accomplished on earth if we don't care who gets the credit. If there's a willingness to both defer and then to lift up the other one. And Roger told the children the story today about a man who ended his life that way. Deferring and lifting. Deferring to others and lifting them up. Not with his major concern being his own welfare. There's a lot of ways you can describe what he did. But one of the ways you can describe what he did is through the word community. How interesting that in the church and other organizations, we don't go by this model at all. We create a church of superstars, whether they be pastors or programs or whatever. We create a hierarchy of giving people orders and, and bossing them around. And how, I think, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit must roll their collective eyes when they look down and see how we have organized. One day the disciples were arguing with one another about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And you recall that Jesus' response was to show them a child and said, you need to be like this child. And then he goes on to say, you know how the Gentiles do it? You know how whenever they get an opportunity, and he says this in Mark 10 and also in Luke, he said, whenever they get the opportunity, they boss other people around. 
And then Jesus gets very stern, I believe, with them and says, But it shall not be so among you. We don't do it that way. We defer we, to others. We exalt others. We don't hope that our CEO gets his or her picture on the cover of Business Week. What we hope is that all of our shareholders and stakeholders will prosper. We hope that the whole group moves ahead. Remember the great words of the Chinese philosopher who said that in the best leaders, when something is finished, the people said, we did it ourselves. I think Jesus would concur. The best leaders don't say, put me on the cover, write an article, interview me, look at what I've done. They, they lead the people in such a way that they're all in a circle and they said, we did it ourselves. One day, as Roger mentioned, they cornered Jesus and thought they would trap him. And they said, now, what's the greatest commandment? Now, the trick here is everyone agreed on number one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. No debate. But number two, what would be considered near that was extremely debatable. There were a minority of people that believed that after love of God, love of your neighbor was second. But they were in the small minority. And yet Jesus not only took their side, but he elevated it and said, the great commandment is this. Don't just love God, but love your neighbor. He put it into a tithe for first. I think the genius of Jesus can be seen on many levels, but one I would just point out to you real quickly, and that is this. I think one of the things Jesus is teaching us is that we cannot really love our neighbor unless we love God. That the love we have, whether it be for our uh, co-workers, our spouse, our children, will never really last and hold unless it is grounded in the love of God. If we don't get caught up in this circle, anything in relationship that we have outside of the circle is doomed to disillusion if it's done in our own power and strength. I was gone, as, as some of you know, for a number of days, 16 days, but who's counting, uh, from the United States. And when I got back, the first thing I wanted to do when I got to Atlanta was call my family and say, I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm here. I miss you. I love you. Coming home. I really wanted to call them. It is really my intention to let them know that I care. So I pulled my phone out of my backpack and it was dead with a capital D. Didn't matter how strongly I intended, it wasn't going to happen. But fortunately, Hartsfield-Jackson Airport is like many airports in the country. There are places where you can go and plug in. And so I plugged into the power source, and the call was made. So many of us, when we stand at the altar and say, I do, or when we have a child baptized, or when we sign on to be part of a team or at work, we have the best of intentions that we'll love and we'll support, we'll defer, we'll exalt the other. But when it comes down to it, Apart from the power supply, it's just not going to happen. You cannot love your neighbor without loving God. Outside of the circle, it just won't work. When I was a kid growing up, occasionally we would go to Six Flags in Arlington. And I guess I was a little stranger than most kids in many ways, I guess. But in one way was my favorite ride was the ride where you lean against the wall and they turn it on and it starts going in circles. Remember that? And it starts going so fast that you're pinned against the wall. No seatbelt, no nothing, but you don't fall, you just keep going. Mark Williams told me this morning in Florida they called it the Gravitron. I don't know what they called it at Six Flags. But it was the power of the circle moving and moving and moving at rapid speed that held all of us together. 
In the same way, when we get in this circle and we move at God's speed and God's ways, we are held tightly in relationship with others. There is no community with others apart from community with God. You probably read the story. It was more than a decade ago in the Pacific Northwest. A state there, they were having Special Olympics. Statewide, not just citywide, statewide Special Olympics. They got to the end after all the other contests. They got to finally the 100-meter run. And the gun went off and the 100 meters began. But a couple people stumbled and fell at the start. Sometimes that happens in a race. You get so many people together. Uh, A couple others were struggling. And then suddenly someone in the middle of the pack noticed the struggling and he stopped and went to help those who were fallen get up. And then the people in front of them noticed that something was going on and they stopped. And soon what happened to the wild cheers of the crowd? Every contestant in a 100-meter race crossed the finish line at the same time, arm and arm. Now, I guess they had a tired time deciding who were the winners and who were the losers. But I have two things that I think could be said about that. The first is, in my book, they were all winners. And more importantly, they were a community.